Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy some words from Rabbi Lizzie. Over the past few weeks, peppering my newsfeed and maybe many of yours too has been the smiling pictures of friends, mostly, who work in the healthcare field getting the coronavirus vaccine. And their words to a person are some version of something like this. And I'm, I'm quoting you, Dr. Shoshana Waskow at Lurie for summarizing, but I, this is the spirit in which everybody's posting with immense gratitude to the scientists and the study volunteers and everyone who made this moment possible. The mood is exuberant in this room. And then showing off like the bicep or the vaccination certificate, you know, and beyond the exuberance in that room, wherever she was, that where she got that vaccine, is the exuberance that I feel like, uh, you know, just ripples out through the, through the computer screen or the phone screen. You know, that tingling sensation that we can see a light at the end of this tunnel and that there is a future that will be different and better than the present and that we can begin to exhale. The breath we have collectively been holding and shielding from one another, you know, wondering if this moment would come. It's come. Hallelujah. And with each one of those smiles and the triumphant band-aid is the story of so much collective pain and loss is the story of 330,000 Americans and counting who didn't survive to see a vaccine or to get the vaccine and all of their families who lost a loved one before their time. And that includes many of us, many community members who have lost parents or cousins or a friend or of, of COVID and complications of COVID over these last nine months. Those smiling pictures belie, but also tell the story of a dangerously negligent commander in chief, the story of racial inequalities that were already pronounced, but became even more obvious as the number of COVID cases and deaths in the black and Latinx and Native American community is was sometimes twice and three times and four times as high as it was among white Americans. This is according to the CDC. In every smiling face is the story of so many people who have been devastated by job loss and lack of opportunity during this time in countless ways. This year has been Mitzrayim, a narrow place, an extended period of time during which we have been confined and limited, isolated, you know, depending on the day, for some, getting through the day felt like a victory. Kids have suffered. Parents have suffered. Our friends and coworkers are struggling. We are struggling. Not to mention the things that we've sort of just put on indefinite hold or outright canceled, that each one of them, we sort of think, okay, it's one thing, but add it up. It's a lot. It's a lot individually in our lives, even just the one thing, and it's a lot collectively 
weddings, baby namings, birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, camp, school, college, grad school, professional advancement, all of these different next steps that stopped in their tracks or were experienced in a very different way than we planned for. Treatment for non-urgent kinds of health concerns, visits to the dentist, first dates, hugs with anyone, holiday celebrations, volunteering, live music, theater, intimacy, last bedside goodbyes. We have missed so much during this year of Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, the word in Hebrew, means narrow place. That's the literal meaning. And as a physical location, it's Egypt, and it's represented, it's remembered in Jewish consciousness as a bad place. Mitzrayim is where the Jewish people were enslaved to Pharaoh, where we called out in anguish under backbreaking conditions of slave labor. And we were led through those cries by God and Moses to freedom, right? Inspiring movements for liberation and hope for the rest of recorded history. Egypt is a place to escape from, to get out and never look back. And just to like drive the point home even further, at Passover every year, when we tell the Exodus story, it's a religious obligation, a mitzvah, for each person to personally see themselves, to feel in their bones as if they left Egypt. It's an obligation in every generation for each person to see themselves as if they left, went forth from Egypt. This year, it is not hard to feel the Egypt in our bones, and it shouldn't be hard to imagine what it will feel like to leave Egypt. Most of us can't wait. And this week, we read in the book of Genesis a very different perspective about Mitzrayim. We read about generations before that story of darkness and oppression, about how Egypt was actually a place of refuge and light. Egypt was a place of refuge for us. Joseph's brothers, starving because of a region-wide famine, leave their home in the land of Canaan, later referred to as Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. They leave that place to go to Egypt, where the government actually planned for such a crisis, so that they not only have what they need, but they have enough to give anyone who needs help, to give, welcome in refugees who are hungry and not only give them food, but a place to stay. And so these brothers travel down to Egypt and, and get the food that they need, but more importantly are reunited with their brother Joseph, who they cruelly abandoned decades ago. And if you need a refresher on that story, I recommend that you go listen to the last three episodes of Rabbi Dina's Morning Scroll podcast or watch or listen to Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, or just read Genesis chapters 37 through 50. It's actually like a good kind of juicy read. So through an amazing series of plot twists, Joseph has risen from this incarcerated immigrant to being in a very high position in the Egyptian government. And Joseph says to his brothers when they reunite, Go back 
go back to your home and tell our father what you saw here. Tell him of my glory here in Egypt and bring him back here. Bring him to Egypt. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, bring your whole family here, your brothers, their wives, their children, their wagons, bring them down here. I will give them the best of the land. And he's not kidding. This was like a good Pharaoh. You know, a few generations later, we, we meet a bad Pharaoh. Um, that is astounding, actually, to see somebody in such a high position of power using that power for welcoming and supporting the most vulnerable. And so in the middle of the night, as Jacob is traveling, and you can imagine Jacob is traveling with some trepidation because Egypt has a bad rap. God, in a dream, comes to Jacob and says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will make a great nation of you there. And so he goes. And this is how the book of Genesis ends with the whole family, all the children of Israel, making their home in Egypt, in this place that in our collective memory, you know, is a bad place. But here we are multiplying, being fruitful, forgiving one another for the awful things that we did in the past, blessing each other, blessing our children as we grow up in a free and well cared for environment in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. And so when God, character of God, gives the Torah in, in, the, in our Torah, gives the Torah to the Jewish people, um, sort of like puts a fine point on like, wait a second, God's giving the Torah. How is it that, you know, the story of the Torah is being told in the book that he's handing and it's all happening, but who's the narrator in this? In any case, the character of God gives Moses the Torah and in it, it says, well, it says a lot of things, but one of the things it says, one of the very important things it says, this is Exodus 22, it says, never oppress or mistreat a foreigner because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. Sometimes it's translated as stranger sometimes as immigrant. Never oppress or mistreat a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. But I think foreigner is actually a better translation, or maybe immigrant, because after a few generations, they were not strangers. You know, this, this was their home. That verse is often understood as, because you suffered in Egypt, because you eventually became slaves in the land of Egypt as foreigners, never mistreat somebody in the way that you were mistreated. But I think based on what we read this week, it makes just as much sense to read this as God saying, you learned generosity and hospitality in Egypt. You learned not to be afraid of foreigners in Egypt, to rely on their wisdom and expertise to solve problems. You were supported as a foreigner in Egypt. They didn't give you a handout and send you home. They invited you to stay and build your family there. So never oppress or mistreat a foreigner because when you were a foreigner, Egypt saved you. We often forget in the process of leaving the thing that was so unpleasant and unwanted that we had to go through, that there was transformation that happened there when feeling in our bones the sensation of leaving Egypt, we also have to feel in our bones what we learned there, what we are learning here, what we're taking with us, what has changed us, what has changed you. 
right? Of course, you know, in this context, leaving Egypt means we'll go to concerts again, we'll go to movies, we'll go to dance parties, we'll ride the train or the bus, we'll, you know, get haircuts or go to restaurants, go on dates, visit friends and family in the hospital, ride airplanes, go to indoor birthday parties, watch football on the couch with friends and share bowls of popcorn. Our parents will finally hold our children in their arms. Those things are a given. But while we wait our turn for our two shots a month apart, what will be the hard-won lessons and memories from this time without which we would not be the version of ourselves that we are striving in so many ways to try and become during this period of evolution and movement. As I share a little, uh, I invite you to share as well in the chat if you want to. What is a lesson or realization you want to take with you from this period of Mitzrayim? For some of us, these lessons came in the form of struggle with our mental or physical health, with addiction. I pray that you are getting the help you need and that you are becoming healthy now and that you bring that with you on the other side of this thing. I have watched as anywhere between eight on some mornings and like 35 or 40 on others, every single weekday morning gather for morning minion, for prayer and connection, mostly with each other. This holy chevre, this band of holy friends, has been forged during this pandemic. I pray that you bring it with you on the other side of this thing. Before this pandemic, we were doing three services a month, two Friday nights, one Saturday morning. I sort of can't picture ever working that little again um, because we doubled that. And it's just what we do now. We have something going on every Friday night and two Saturday mornings a month. And it's really satisfying. And it's reaching people all over North America, as I saw from the chat during the first five minutes of this. You're in Boston, you're in Nashville, you're in San Francisco, you're in Washington, D.C. It's incredible. And it's not just Mishkan, so many organizations and companies are sort of reinventing ourselves to meet the needs of the moment and are better for it now. And we're not gonna go back to doing things the old way or exclusively the old way. And that's a good thing. I look forward to bringing that onto the other side of this thing. For some of us, this pandemic was the first time you marched for racial justice, maybe in your life or maybe since the 60s, I pray that you take that fire for equality and equity and justice onto the other side of this thing. I've been amazed as people tell me you're in your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, and you are learning a new language, learning Talmud, learning an instrument, applying to graduate school in a completely new professional field, and starting what you hope will be a two decades or three decades long career, halfway through your life, it's inspiring. I know that you will take that to the other side of this thing. It's amazing how many people have taken up exercise and taking care of your body as a practice during this Mitzrayim. 
I know the Peloton thing has sort of become like a running joke around here. Um, but for real, I pray that you bring those good habits with you onto the other side of this thing. Rabbi Dina will really help you with that. She'll tell you more in our announcements in a minute. I hope I always look at the cashier at CVS or the clerk at the grocery store or the gas station attendant or the person who delivers our mail with the same kind of admiration and gratitude that I do now once we're on the other side of this thing. I hope that I value every opportunity to see a face of somebody I love or even just don't mind that much in person, in person, to see their face in person. I hope that I remember the sacredness of that that feels so elusive right now on the other side of this thing. As challenging as this isolation has been, especially for people who live alone, it's been amazing to see how heroic and creative people are in figuring out how to safely facilitate friendship and love and family and romance. Lisa Portnoy and Susan Horowitz, I'm shouting out your Instagram account. They started an account during this pandemic to review cookies in Chicago. During Hanukkah, they reviewed Sufganyot and took beautiful pictures and gave elaborate descriptions of their experience. You can look them up. They're two hot cookies. I pray that your love of baked goods and all of your Instagram followers follow you and continue to inspire and ripple out and, uh, and also that you deliver cookies to me every so often like you do during this pandemic on the other side of this thing. I, I pray and I hope that the kind of creativity and mutual aid, the creativity and generosity that people are figuring out how to help one another, how to ask for help and also how to reach out and offer it. I hope that that isn't going anywhere. And so now we're standing on what appears to be the edge of the Red Sea, like waiting for it to part for us, you know, phase by phase. We can also see how this pandemic showed us if scientists are given resources and time and a mandate, they can solve massive global challenges, massive humanity, creative, mo most of the challenges that we need to solve, you know, but in this one of the hottest years on record, I'm actually struck by a sense of hope that if we could collectively muster the ability to defy the expectations of coming up with a vaccine in 18 months and come up with one in nine. And the 18 months already was a stretch, right? Like before that, it took four years. That was the least amount of time it had ever taken to come up with a vaccine. They thought 18 months, it took nine. If they could do that, then there might actually be a future for our species on this earth. There's a phrase in the Talmud, Elu v'Elu, Divrei Elohim Chaim. These and these are the words of the living God. It's an expression for when you have two coexisting yet conflicting realities or truths. Egypt bad, Egypt good. Life, our tradition says, is messy. We grieve at the same time as we celebrate 
right? That's why we break a glass at the wedding. We can recognize our profound losses and mourn them at the same time as feeling hope for what is coming down the road in 2021. This and that can be simultaneously true. Hope and skepticism, excitement and nervousness. Real deep questions about what this future will look like. Giddy glee and also grief. As we go into 2021 together, I want us to hold not just the excitement to leave Egypt, to leave this Egypt, but what we each learned here and are bringing with us to make ourselves and the world better. I look forward to walking that journey with you through the sea to the other side of this thing. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan... Thanks for tuning in.